Young, back to throw. In trouble, he's going to be sacked. No, gets away. He runs, gets away again, goes to the 40, gets away again, to the 35, cuts back at the 30, to the 20, the 50, the 10. He dies, touchdown, 49ers. What's up, 49ers faithful? We are back with another episode of the 49ers Web Zone No Huddle Podcast presented by theqbc.com. For accurate predictions on every NFL matchup and thought-provoking NFL content that can help your fantasy teams or confidence pools, head to theqbc.com. We got Levin and Stats with us, and it's our first non-victory podcast of the season. And I have a lot of mixed feelings about what happened on Monday night, and we have a lot to get into. We're going to get pretty deep into some issues that you probably heard about by now and some things that you may not have. But really, what it means right now for the 49ers is that they're 8-1. and one. They're still on top of the NFC West. They're still on top of the NFC for home field advantage in the first round by and all that stuff, right? We're just over halfway through the season. And if you would have told me, last year or the year before that the Niners would be eight and one and on top of the NFC West, despite losing to Seattle, I would have taken that deal. We had a lot of griping to do. We got a lot of positive stuff to talk about. So let's get into it guys. Well, where do you want to start? So we had a whole list of stuff. So I want to start with Kyle Shanahan and there's a lot of people to take blame in this. Look, I'm not, I'm not saying that Kyle Shanahan is the one to, to, to blame because I'm starting with him first. I'm starting with him first because I have the most to say about this. And before I start with him, I want to say that it's not just Kyle Shannon's fault. Jimmy's to blame a little bit. The defense is to blame very little. Uh, the offensive line is to blame. The receivers, I know, Levin, you're going to love talking about that later on the show, but the receivers are what receivers? very much to blame. <laughs> exactly, stats, what receivers. But when it comes down to it, look, Kyle Shanahan had 10 days to prepare for this game. And he is an offensive guru. We know how good he can be as a play caller. But this seemed to me like... He, he just wasn't – look, I know that they had injuries, and I know that it was Staley and McGlinchey's first game back, Hughes-Check's first game back, and Emmanuel Sanders. After he went out, the t- entire game changed. I realize that. I acknowledge it, and I'm going to say that before I even start this rant. But Kyle Shan had 10 days to prepare for this game, and he knew what he was going up against in that Seattle defense. He knew that, that everybody was healthy. He knew the players that were going to play. There was no secret. Seattle doesn't disguise a lot of things. They they know people know what they're doing. They're not a team that that like Pittsburgh that likes to hide their blitzes and disguise a lot of coverages and stuff. However, to not call well, they called two screen passes all game. They did not have any of those uh, end around reverse type actions on any of their runs. Very little counters on the runs, very little misdirection, very little dump offs, very little quick hitters to the receivers. I don't know what Kyle Shanahan was doing. I don't know what play, what game he was trying to call. I don't know what he thought he could do with the Seattle defense. They were ranked number 28 coming into the game. I don't know if he just thought they would just roll their jocks out there and beat Seattle, but you can't do that. You can't do that against Pete Carroll. Pete Carroll gets that team up to play the Niners every single time they play them. It doesn't matter how good or bad they are. They will play you tough every single time. And Kyle Shanahan did not come with a good game plan this game. And the the telling thing to me is that after Sanders went out, you guys remember that fourth and two that they had in no man's land that, that they were considering kicking a field that goal? That he never should have gone for? Yes, I recall that. Exactly. So there's so there's one so there's two schools of thought. So he should he shouldn't have gone for it and he probably should have punted. Okay, that's that's one thing. And the other school of thought is like, okay, if you're going for it on fourth and two, you need two yards. The play he called for Debo was about it was a, a downfield pass about 10 yards down the field. To me, that was the moment I was like, he's not in it this game. He doesn't have a good pulse on this game because you you needed two yards on that play and you you tried to get 10. And I don't know why he did that. 
And to me, like this is minus uh, Emmanuel Sanders. I know that I know the receivers drop balls, but you have to give your guys a chance to make plays like by putting them in a good position to, to actually make plays. And by the time it got to overtime, look, Jimmy struggled. He struggled in the pocket. So to me, I don't understand why Kyle Shannon didn't move the pocket. There were no bootlegs. Jimmy was a statue back there. He was getting teed off constantly the entire game. And yeah, he had happy feet and that stuff. But look, when you're getting hit in the face the entire game and your coach refuses to move the pocket, that's what's going to happen. So all these, all, they like, for example, the, the Cardinals game, they started that game. The first 12 passes out of the first 12 passes, six of them were screens. And they did none of that this game. They neutralized that Cardinals pass rush of Chandler Jones and Terrell Suggs by throwing screens at them. And they did none of that this game. And it was so disappointing to me that you had 10 days to prepare for this and they did absolutely nothing. We'll get into the overtime thing later, but I want to get you guys' thought, thoughts on this first. I think it was the, the stubborn Shanahan that showed up. This is the Shanahan that people have criticized at times over the years. And I think he, he showed his face and I think... I think it goes deeper than he just didn't have a good game plan because I think he went in and I think he wanted to be aggressive. He wanted to go downfield. I think that much is obvious. The things that he did is he didn't adjust when Sanders went down. Once Sanders went down, Goodwin has been a, a complete non-factor this season. He has not been taking the top off the defense. Debo is not a deep threat. He, he's not that type of receiver. And, and I mean, I can talk about Kendrick Bourne later, but he, he's not much of anything either. He didn't <laughs> adjust, but I, and then he, he came into this game, I think, thinking, I finally got my tackles back. Mm -hmm. I can finally pass deep. I can open up my playbook, and he's been sitting there chomping at the bit because he hasn't been able to, I mean, we've seen it. The Niners haven't really been able to go downfield because they, have, they haven't had tackles they can truly trust. And I think he thought, hey, I got him back. I can trust him. And Jadavian Clowney, and I wouldn't even say it was all McGlinchey because Clowney was lining up against Staley, if not a majority of the time, pretty close to it. He seemed to be going back and forth, and Staley was whiffing more than anybody. And that that's the biggest part to me is it was straight-out whiffs. Clowney was doing stunts where he'd fake like he's going in, inside and then go outside, and Staley was falling for it every time. Now, part of that's rust. Part of that could also be that, I mean, he is, there's going to be a point where Staley's not – Staley anymore and maybe this injury is it who knows that that's one of my fears going into this going into the future of this season but Clowney destroyed that offensive line which in turn destroyed Shanahan's game plan you can't pass deep at that point and he never adjusted and and you know I, that, that's what I said before even halftime Shanahan hasn't adjusted his game plan and he never really did I mean he, he kind of sprinkled a little bit in in, in there but not a whole lot and when the game was still close before they got down 11 points, he abandoned the run oh, completely. for the most part. He, he stopped running. It was just, I thought, Shanahan, I wasn't upset with the game plan going in that he had, but he needed to not be stubborn and adjust once he saw this offensive line is not improved. It was as bad as I've ever seen Joe Staley look. There were plays where he did not even make physical contact with Jadevian Clowney. I don't know how he dislocated his finger because he never actually touched him, I don't think. <laughs> they put The only offensive lineman that didn't get owned by Jadevian Clowney was Weston Richburg, and that was because Clowney never lined up over the center. I mean, it was... I've never seen an offensive line, an entire unit, get destroyed by one guy like that. He wrecked every play, basically. Every pass play. 
the, it was just even if he didn't get the sack, he was disrupting the timing. He was making Jimmy rush throws. He was there so often that you saw it at the end of regulation. Jimmy had happy feet. His timing in the pocket was so thrown off that he he was feeling pressure even when he actually didn't have pressure, and it was affecting the accuracy of his throws. It was an absolute dominant performance by Clowney, and I agree with everything you said about Shanahan's game plan. It was one of the most boring Shanahan game plans I can remember since he's become the head coach, and I, I hope we don't see that against Arizona because if we do, they could very easily lose that game. And you have some thoughts about that fourth and two play, right? Off air, we were talking about that, right? Yeah, I just, I didn't understand it at all. Why don't you kick the field goal there? You go up 13-7. If you want to go for two, there are so many other creative plays that I've seen him run. I don't know what he was trying to do. He was trying to push the ball way too far downfield on that play. To me, you kick the field goal there, you go up 13-7, and you don't give Seattle the ball back. You don't get nothing out of that turnover. You have to get points off your turnovers. That's how Seattle scored all their points. They didn't. They had one sustained drive down the field when they kicked the game-winning kick. Everything else was all set up off of 49ers turnovers. In those those drives that they scored off of the turnovers, they they traveled a total those three drives of 84 yards. Oh, they didn't. They didn't do anything. The Seattle offense that was Russell Wilson's worst game of the season by far, and. To waste a defensive effort like that on a loss, which could have been a tie, and we'll get to that in a little bit, but a loss where your offense basically didn't show up for three and a half quarters after Sanders went out is to me, it's it's like if you good teams, championship teams win those games. Okay. And I'm not saying the Niners aren't a championship team, and I'm not saying that they won't eventually win those games, but that's the difference that you see between Seattle and the Niners. Seattle wins those games, and the Niners don't. And the Niners are going to have to learn how to win those games to be able to beat that team. Like that is, that is the hump that you have to get over. It's not the Rams. It's not the Cardinals. You have to beat the Seahawks. And now they put themselves in a position where they're going to have to go up to Seattle at the end of the season, possibly with the division on the line, possibly with the first round buy on the line. And they're going to have to go up there and beat Seattle in Seattle, something they haven't done since 2011. And to yeah. me, when you have a chance to beat a rival and get over a big hump and really put a stake in your ground with your flag in the ground for this team. Like you have to take that, take advantage of that opportunity. It just didn't seem like Kyle Shanahan really understood that. It seemed like guys, I know that, that, and I'm not saying that this is, this is an accurate, like rational thing to say, but to me, as I was watching that game, it, it seemed like the moment was too big for Kyle Shanahan. It really did. And it seemed like he didn't know what to do in certain situations. Like at the end of the game, and this is this is something that that Levin and I have have differing opinions on. I'm interested to hear what Levin has to say as as well as what you have to say, stats. But the end of the game, your defense just came up with first of all the Dre Greenlaw interception is fantastic, amazing. What a play! And I thought that they would win the game right there, but they didn't. And they got the ball back. Luckily, they got the ball back one more time with a minute fifty. They were inside their own thirty, and they they had one timeout. Seattle so didn't have any timeouts left. So. I understand that people want to go for the win. And, and to me, when, when the Niners got the ball, I said to myself, I'm like, okay, this is either a win or a tie. Seattle doesn't get the ball back. That's it. Like you, you end up with the ball and they will not get the ball back. Either, either you win this or it's a tie and that's it. And you're going to walk away happy or somewhat happy because you didn't lose. But the first play of that drive, so they, we all know they threw it three straight times. The first play of that drive should either have been a draw play or a run play or something that was short, like a short, quick hitting pass, a dump off to the running back just to get the clock going. 
And Kyle Shanahan said as much in his press conference later on in the week. He said that I should have called a play that took some time off the clock that wasn't in the Well, completion. he was trying to, I think. I think yeah, the that, first – sorry, Levin. It, I, no, 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 I was going to say that's what he said. He said the right. first two plays, he purposely called short passes to try to get the clock moving. The first one was tipped, and the way he put it is the second one was a little worse of a situation, which was, as we know, the drop by Dante Pettis. So I get all that, and I understand that he wanted to do that, but it's like, at this point, you literally want to make sure somebody catches the ball, and your receivers, who have not caught anything all night, all of a sudden you're relying on them, they make a play and catch the ball. The running mask caught seven out of eight balls, and the only ball was that they dropped was the, the use check uh, drop down the field, but those are the guys catching the balls. Throw it, throw, throw it to one of your running backs, just dump it off, get the clock going, and then basically like, okay, if, if you throw an incompletion in the next play, that's fine. You took some time off the clock with, with the first play of, the, of that drive. And Levin, like you and I, we, we were talking about um, when teams have done this and teams do this all the time. Look, when Tom Brady won his first Super Bowl in 2011, he was throwing dump-offs. First play was a dump-off to J.R. Redmond for five yards. He got the clock going and then they went into no huddle. When Steve Young was the quarterback in 98, when they, when they were going down against Green Bay in the catch two when Terrell Owens caught that touchdown, the second play of that drive was it was a little dump off to JJ Stokes. In 2011, when the Niners beat the Saints in the divisional playoffs, the first play of that drive, I believe, was a dump off, and then the second play was the Vernon Davis long long um, uh, catch and run that he had. Um, so teams do this. It's not uncommon for them to do it. Look, just because they may run it or dump it off doesn't mean that they're not going for it. It doesn't mean that they're not going for the win. It means that they're managing the game because you do not want to give the ball back to Russell Wilson. As soon as he got the ball back, I'm like, that's it, game over. You don't give that guy more chances. You don't. And Kyle Shanahan totally bungled it at the end. At the very least, they should have ended up with a tie. And I'm not saying that's great, but it's better than a loss. Well, this is my issue. And, you know, at a certain point, I disengaged on Twitter because we needed to save it for the podcast. Um, but my, the thing that I had an issue with is, what would have been achieved by, you know, at the time you were saying run the ball or in, in the case you're saying now a screen, you would have, yes, gotten the clock moving, but then you said immediately go into the no huddle. So if you go into the no huddle speed up, let's say it takes them, what, eight to 10 seconds to get the next play snapped and going. So you're, you've run eight to 10 seconds off the clock. What difference would that have made? They, they were in field goal position in plenty of time. It wouldn't have made a difference. Because it's only eight to ten seconds. If you're going immediately into the no huddle, getting that clock moving isn't as big of a factor because you're immediately in the no huddle and you snap the ball, you you have an incompletion, and now the clock is stopped again. So it's only an eight to ten second difference. It's not wow. that huge of a difference in my opinion. And I think he did try to make the right calls. His team just was not executing. They did kick the game winning field goal with four seconds left in overtime. So eight seconds may have made the difference. Sadly. Well, yeah, but they were already, I mean, they were within a 50-yard field goal in the last, like, 40 seconds. I, I don't remember the exact time that they got within his field goal range, but they had plenty of time, and they could have, man if they had less time on the clock, they would have managed it slightly different and stopped the clock sooner, but instead they, they hurried up and ran another play and gained another 5 to 10 yards. I forget the exact play that led up to them spiking the ball to stop the clock, but they could have spiked it earlier and not had that long. It wouldn't have been out of Myers' field goal range. I did not have an issue with Kyle Shanahan going for it. Um, I would have understood if he had run the ball three times and said, hey, we, you know, we take the tie and we get out of here. But I also like 
that's a harder sell in a locker room for him. You know, guys have busted their ass the whole game and then to just run it like that. And they probably would have appreciated it later in the year when they had a two game advantage in the standings in the loss column. But I can understand him saying, hey, we're going for it. Because if he if he runs it out for the tie, you know what they're saying. He was afraid to put the ball in Jimmy Garoppolo's hands. Jimmy Garoppolo looked shook all night. And look, Kyle Shanahan doesn't have any confidence in him. So if he runs the ball, then he's afraid to put the ball in Jimmy's hands. So I, I, I had no problem with him going for it. And here's one point I, w- I want to make. What's the team slogan? If he runs the ball three times and takes the tie, he's going against all gas, no breaks, no question. It, to me, that would have been a bad thing in the locker room. The team slogan, the team rallies around all gas, no breaks. That's the mentality they have. They have that Sherman swagger. They have that arrogance of we're better than anybody else and we're going to go out and prove it. If you run the ball three times, you're going exactly against that. And I don't think it would have fractured the locker room, but it, I think it would have certainly introduced a certain amount of discord of players thinking, well, I don't agree with what the coach is doing. And right now we have such a cohesive unit. You don't want to do that. Nobody wants to play for the tie. I don't think that's this team. It doesn't fit this team. So I'm not, I'm not picking on you guys. Cause I, cause, cause you know, we talk off air, we have an understanding. We know, we know how each other thinks, but it's shocking to me how many 49ers fans can't differentiate managing the clock and also going for it. Like you can do those two things simultaneously. Like look what Seattle did, right? Like, look, they, they were able to manage the clock so well that they kicked the field goal, the winning field goal as time expired. That's ideally what the 49ers should have been able to do had, had they been able to make some plays. And yes, Pettis dropped the ball. And yes, Jimmy underthrew Debo on that route and Debo had a step on his, on his little. Defender. I mean, he underthrew him a little. It wasn't the worst throw in the world. It was more a better play by the DB to me. Yes, it was. I, w- I want to say this on that play. Debo had a good game overall, I would say. He did have a drop earlier, so it wasn't a perfect game. On that play, that is a rookie mistake because he had the chance to put his foot in the ground and outleap the defender. The defender didn't get that high and off the ground because he was still having to sprint full speed. Debo could have slowed down and jumped up and caught that ball, but he was wanting to catch it on the run and go win the game, I think. And that's something you see out of rookie receivers a lot of times that they learn later. These NFL corners are a different breed. I can't trust that the ball is going to beat them. They're going to get there. They have that closing speed. And he didn't He didn't jump at all. Well, that's the perfect ball for a receiver to go up and get him. I and that's what DeAndre Hopkins does each and every play. He just goes up and gets it. He'll stop at the right time and high point the ball. He didn't attempt that at all. To me, that that showed his inexperience and something he's going to have to learn. He could also put his foot in the ground and draw a pass interference penalty because that defender was running full. It was it was Thorpe, wasn't I? Think it was, and he was running full speed, and he would have just railroaded Debo, and and they would have gotten a pass interference. It would have been first down. But to me, like that, that's a low percentage pass. Okay, that's that's not a high percentage pass. He's trying to throw it up down the field, trying to make a play, and I understand that they're just taking a shot there, but. The eight to ten second thing—that's that's what you're saying is true. It may not have made a difference, but it puts pressure on the other team. It puts pressure on them, knowing that they have eight to ten seconds less of time. They took 17 seconds total on that drive. Eight to ten seconds would have given them given them almost almost half a minute. They still would have had more than a minute left, right? It's debatable whether they could have done something or not, right? But at the same time, I just feel like back to the same point that I was making earlier that 49ers fans, it's shocking how many of them cannot divorce themselves from the fact that you can run the ball and also try to win the game at the same time, or you can throw a short pass and try to win the game at the same time in the first play. The 
management of games is Kyle, is Kyle Shanahan's bugaboo. We saw it in the Super Bowl. We saw it last year in Detroit, against Detroit at home before the half. He kept throwing it, throwing it, throwing it. Detroit got the ball back. They scored. It was a 13-10 game at half of a game that the Niners were dominating. It was Jimmy's second last game last year. Saw it last year in Green Bay where CJ had the ball at the end. They could have gone overtime, tried to throw it, and they gave Aaron Rodgers the ball back, and he ended up winning the game. To me, I, I just don't know when he's going to learn. And it really scares me because sometimes he does manage the game well and he does manage that situation well. And other times, like he gets too excited or I don't know what happens to him and just completely forgets what he's doing. And he mismanaged that situation. He did. And and call it not going for it or whatever you want. But I mean, like he mismanaged that situation and he's not the sole one to blame on that. But it did contribute to them losing this game. Like I know it sends the wrong the wrong message by going for a time. Nobody's saying go for a time. Nobody's saying take three knees and run out the clock, but there's a better way to do it than, than Kyle Shanahan did it. And other teams have proved, proved it in the past. And that's basically my point before we, before we move on. Yeah. I mean, I, I get your point. I just don't necessarily agree to me. You don't forfeit one of your plays. You have a hundred or sorry, a minute and 50 seconds with only one timeout. You don't have the luxury of getting that clock moving. And then Later on, going crap. We only have one timeout. We really need to save it for kicking the field goal, but the clock's clock's going because we got a completion. You know what I mean? The time, yes, they had a minute and fifty seconds, but it wasn't that much time considering one, the receivers weren't showing up, so the chances of getting a deep ball were, were slim to none. So they're going to have to get a lot of completions to get into field goal range because they were inside their own twenty at that point. And two, they just weren't there, in my opinion. But I do want to, if we want to transition out of this, there's one thing that I haven't seen anybody say something, and maybe I missed it because I've had pretty busy personal life the last couple of weeks. But in overtime, I didn't see Brita at the end of the game. What happened hurt. to Brita? Ankle. Was he hurt? Yeah. I didn't see that. Okay. He's, he's out for a couple weeks. What about Coleman? Coleman. Yeah, so Coleman. They ran Because it was Mostert. all Mostert. Yeah. Mostert was the only one in, and I even said it on Twitter. Coleman's got to be hurt because he's not in for this. And this is his ideal situation. I mean, this is where he could shine and he wasn't there. So I wonder, I'm not giving this as an excuse to Shanahan, but I wonder if that played a role in not calling a screen pass, which most are good in screens, but he doesn't have the route depth that Coleman has, obviously. So I wonder if that played a role with him just kind of forgetting about the running backs towards the end of the game. And I haven't seen anything about that. I didn't even see one of the reporters asked Shanahan why wasn't Coleman in. And I, I was looking for that and I didn't see it. I didn't see the thing about Brita uh, because I've been busy, but Coleman, I, I haven't seen any comments of anything. That's actually a very, very valid point. That's, that's something that I didn't even actually think about until just now that why wasn't Tevin Coleman in the game? They were running most it with the drive that, that McLaughlin missed, missed the field goal on. They, he was running pretty effectively. First of all, a terrible spot. I mean, yeah. It's it's a, a primetime game with the Seahawks playing. Like, of course, the officials are going to botch something, right? This, this is how they win, right? This is partially how they win. <laughs> so we know that's going to happen. But that being said, so you guys are talking about getting aggressive and Kyle Shannon being aggressive. So to me, McLaughlin already make he already made a, a forty-seven yard field goal to put them into overtime. You're you're going to count on that guy twice in one game to basically yeah. win you the yeah, game. Yeah, I am. Do your job. <laughs> That's what you, we, you, I mean, it wasn't even, the ball ended up in the tunnel when he kicked it. It was so bad. I saw a video. The ball literally landed in the tunnel and I'm sorry, Jay, Dre Greenlaw picks that ball off and I'm like, oh my God, when he intercepted that ball and he's returning it, I'm thinking this 
this team is special. Like this, we're going to win this game. And this is just one of those years where like things are going our way. And they, they did everything they needed to do. They got in field goal range. And there he is with a chance to win the game. And you know what I think really killed him? I, what really hurt him is the fact that there was a review on third down and then Carroll called the timeout to ice him. So he had an extra long delay. I think yeah. he was thinking about it. I think it was in his head and he just totally had the yips and he gacked it up. And if he makes that kick, we're not talking about Jimmy Garoppolo being skittish in the pocket. We're not talking about Shanahan's game plan. We're talking about, oh my God, this team has something special. Well, I got two points on, on the kick, which I guess I'm kind of the resident kicker guy. One, I, I'm not forgiving him for missing the kick, but he made three out of four field goals and was signed late week, and he's a free agent for a reason. So to me, he did as much as you could expect out of a free agent kicker because we all know kickers in this league are, are scarce, good ones. Two, <laughs> I've made this point somewhat as a joke, but somewhat seriously too. With the way Robbie Gold has been this season, he would have missed one of the ones in regulation. We would have lost in regulation anyway. <laughs> yeah, so, true. I mean, you at least we got right. into overtime. <laughs> yeah, that's true. that's true. Yeah, that's, that is true. I mean, but guys, like, you, how much can you put on an, a, a rookie undrafted kicker who's never kicked a field goal? Like, I understand that he's got what one do you mean job. He's never and, kicked a field goal. He's, he's, kicked, plenty, he's kicked thousands of field goals. In no, his he's life. The, he, he had never kicked a game winning field goal in his life up until then. Not even in college. Did they change the rules when the game winning, the, the, the goalpost narrower when it's yeah, a game winning kick? You have to understand your personnel, right? Like he's he's a guy. Look, they needed it. First of all, they needed an inch to get that first down. And if you're going to yeah. go for it, if you and if you're going to be aggressive, that's a that's an easy Jimmy QB sneak for a first down, and you get three more tries to move the ball up. Like I, if Kyle Shanahan is going to go for it at the end of the game, why didn't you go for it there? Why didn't you get closer? Why didn't you try to get that first down? And and that's why I'm like, look, the, yeah, the kicker missed a field goal, but really Shanahan should have really gone for it. That's not a, that's not a chip shot. It's almost a 50 yard field goal. You're you're asking an undrafted kicker to make a 50 yard field goal to win the game on Monday Night Football against your division rival? Like, come on, man! Like, that's I'm not surprised that he missed it. That's way too much for a young guy. That's way too much. I would guarantee you, if you asked Shanahan if he would go for it on fourth down in the future, and you got an honest answer, you'd say I'm going for it in that situation. I think the fact that the kid was three for three and made a kick over the exact same distance to get into overtime affected his decision there. If it was, hey, I got this rookie kicker who I just signed and he hasn't kicked a field goal all night and I have no idea what he's really going to be able to do under pressure, he's going for it. But the fact that the kid had looked good, I think, affected his decision there. And I agree. I don't care what the game situation is. If you got a fourth and inches and you got a quarterback who's good at a QB sneak, like Tom Brady, like Jimmy Garoppolo, Drew Brees is, is good at him. Just go for the QB sneak. I mean, the chances of you getting stopped on a QB sneak, not getting inches, is almost zero. That mm -hmm. is one of the safest plays in the game. And they did it earlier in the game, too. Jimmy G had a quarterback sneak that he converted for a first down. But, you know, one of those field goals, I, I have to bring this up because we haven't gotten there yet, and I'm just going to explode if we don't talk about this. One of those field goals only happened because Kendrick Bourne drops a slant over the middle of the field on third wow. down. He would have caught it right at about the 10-yard line, I think it was. Yeah. The ball hits him between the numbers, and it just clangs right off of him, and they have to settle for the field goal. I'm sorry. The, the drops by the 49ers wide receivers were hideous. It was, it was the, the least impressed I've ever been with a group of wide receivers, maybe in 49ers history. And, you know, everyone's talking about Jimmy Garoppolo's ball placement because even if you hit these guys in the numbers, they don't freaking catch the ball. It was disgraceful. Yeah, they're, they're, I mean, I'm, I'm going to go on a rant here. Um, but 
I retweeted something from John Chapman on on Twitter that showed all of the drops. It showed the replays of them all. And if you sat and watched them all, there were seven total for one. Oh, for two, uh, I think it was five of them were at least 15 yards downfield. I mean, they they weren't short drops. They weren't, well, yeah, I dropped a, a two-yard pass. It wouldn't have made a difference. They all would have made a difference. There was a lot of points left on the field in that game by the wide receivers in drops. And what I said in, in my Twitter post was I added it up. So Jimmy Garoppolo, if he gets those completions, would have ended up being 31 of 46, and he would have had well over 350 yards. And a lot of those, the receivers had room to run. He might have passed over 400 yards. Would anybody be talking about him if he had 350-plus yards and completed 31 of 46? No. His receivers are making him the conversation. That, to me, is what really bothers me. And I, I'm trying to be somewhat PC here because it's, I want to go full Twitter rant, you know, fan on his couch, yelling and screaming, calling these guys bums, you know. But <laughs> I'm on a podcast. I need, I need to rein myself in. But Kendrick Bourne, to me, I have oh. no idea why he's still playing. I know what the potential is. I know that he, on a per play basis, is consistent because he, he can play all positions and he, he, you know what you're going to get out of him, except for when it comes to him catching the ball. This is not except the first game the, he's been this way. This is not the first job. game he's done this. He has dropped quite a few key passes in, this season and he's done it previously too, but especially this season, his drops have been atrocious. I have no idea why he's playing right now. And this is the thing that pisses me off off the most about Kyle Shanahan in this game. Why is Richie James not getting more of a chance? The only thing I could see is Richie James, I don't believe, is a very good uh, run blocker, and he he's not as diverse. He can't play all three positions. But he needs to get more run because the receivers that are getting run in front of him are costing the Niners games. And this game, to me, is quite largely on Kendrick Bourne because he dropped the pass that you just mentioned that would have led to points, and then he also led to the interception that went for seven points for Seattle. If Kendrick Bourne just passes or catches the passes that were hitting him right in the hands, the Niners win this game in regulation by double digits. I mean, it, it's as simple as that. I have no idea why he's still playing this much. And the thing that really bothered me was Kyle Shanahan's post-game comments. It, I, I I had to step away because it, it made me so angry. He talked about that he, he pulled the whole Harbaugh Crabtree thing. That is what it reminded me of. When Crabtree had his drop issue, Harbaugh said he was talking about how he has the best hands he's ever seen, blah, 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 blah. Shanahan's sitting there talking post-game about how Kendrick Bourne has very good hands. He's, he has, has maybe the best hands on the team, and he, he can catch the ball so well. Well, no, that's not the case. The results are there for you to see, and he's talking him up, and then he followed it up by talking Pettis down and saying he's very disappointed with how Pettis has done and he hasn't stepped up. and he's been given opportunities and hasn't done anything to deserve more opportunities. Well, what has Kendrick Bourne done to deserve more opportunities to me? I, I think, and I'm not putting the blame is ultimately on Dante Pettis for what has happened, but it, I think it's very clear. He's not responding to the tough love way of managing him. He is shutting down. He is mentally shutting himself down because Shanahan keeps talking him down yet. Shanahan will talk Kendrick Bourne up left and right. When she, when Kendrick Bourne has a bad play, Shanahan talks him up. When Dante Pettis has a bad play, he's, he rides the bench all game, and Shanahan talks him down. I don't get it. Did you see the comments from Bourne this week? He said, I'm a guy 
that when I drop a pass, I, it gets in my head a little bit, and then I need my teammates to pick me up. And it's like, you know what, dude? No, you need to catch the ball. You need to get on the jugs machine. Like, mm-hmm. I'm sorry. You know, there comes a time when you only get so many opportunities, and you got to be out of the lineup. I totally agree. Richie James Jr. should be in there. And honest to God, I was I had this thought this week. You know, I keep seeing these videos from Des Bryant saying, hey, I'm almost ready to come back. If you're the Niners, I think you have to look into it. You have to. I mean, it was so obvious when Sanders went down that they had no one that the Seahawks respected in any way. And Seattle just jammed them in man-to-man coverage. They played everybody in the box, and the Niners' offense was not a threat the rest of the way. I, I would be fine with giving Des Bryant a tryout. I would even be fine with just a tryout, giving Terrell Owens a tryout. Me too. Just because I, I think he is a true unicorn of a physical freak, and I truly <laughs> believe he could still run a 4-5, or five, and he obviously has talent. And at this point, he's only going to have to play sparingly and in a short situation. You know, He's not having to play a full season, which at his age, he would probably break down if he had to play all 16 games. How could it be worse? The one, the one person that I've seen mentioned on Twitter and other places is Antonio Brown. I have... Zero, Zero interest in Antonio Brown. Mm-mm. He is a cancer. He mm-hmm. would destroy what the cohesion that I was talking about before in this locker room. Antonio Brown is zero interest. The other two, a tryout. I wouldn't go out and sign him, but a tryout, I think, to me, is a no-brainer at this point. Now, I, I have no delusions that, in, that Terrell Owens is going to get a tryout because the moment you give him a tryout, it's a circus, right? I mean, that would be a media circus if he got mm-hmm. a tryout. But Des Bryant, I think, is logical and makes sense. Somebody put a stat out today that uh, they showed where Jimmy was throwing to Sanders and Kittle for the last uh, nine or for nine quarters. And in this game, he didn't have them at all. Or or it was like three quarters without Emmanuel Sanders this game. And the numbers were like six touchdowns and a a pick with them. And then the pick without them. Um, So... When you're evaluating Jimmy Garoppolo as we as we move towards our weekly Jimmy discussion, when you're evaluating him, you have to understand that you need to be able to give him NFL level receivers to be able to evaluate him and know what he's doing. If you give him a bunch of guys, like how many of these receivers are going to make other teams? You have to ask yourself that. Like that's when I judge the quality of a roster. Is you look at the roster and say, okay, how many of these guys can make another team? When the Niners had those dominant teams back when Harbaugh was here, they had the best roster in the league. And I was like, well, how many of these guys can make another roster? And it was most of the team, aside from the receivers, ironically. But it was most of the team. And these receivers, maybe Debo makes a roster. Like He, he makes a roster as like a three or four on another team. And I like, I like Debo. I'm a Debo guy. I think he's going to be really good. But he's just a rookie. You can't rely on him. But the other guys, Goodwin doesn't make any other team. Pettis doesn't make any other team. Bourne certainly doesn't make any other team. Richie James, I mean, we don't know what we have in him. But, I mean, why not? The only thing that I can think about for Richie James is maybe they don't want to play him at receiver because he's the punt returner. They don't want him to get hurt because he's sure-handed as a punt returner. And Pettis, he can't return punts. We saw him go off his face mask last year, and he got hurt on another punt return last year. So maybe they just don't have confidence. What are you afraid of losing at this point? Maybe the only thing he can do is return punts. He's not a good receiver. I'm sorry. He had, what, five good games last year? I mean, when people think he's great, all the fantasy guys like love Dante Pettis coming into the season. He He's never really blown me away. I'll say this about Dante Pettis. I think it is 100% clear. He is a guy, he has potential, but he needs a change of scenery. He is mentally out of it. You see that in punt. I mean, he's the best punt returner in college football history, statistically. Right. 
And he can't return punts because of the mental part of it. He makes mental mistakes like letting it hit off his face mask. He is mentally worn down. I think it's very clear he needs a change of scenery. And I think the Niners need to move him for, for whatever they can get in the offseason, which, yes, it sucks because he was a second-round pick and he has potential. But at this point, he's not going to make it on this team. Yeah, that whole first draft from from uh, John Lynch was not was not a great uh, – well, second draft, I guess, but it was not a great one. But anyways. Uh, I think that uh, Dante Pettis, yeah, I think that he's just one of those guys that when he's engaged, he's really good. Like last year, he was engaged and he was really good last year in his limited time. But this year, for whatever reason, he's disengaged. Not He doesn't seem really interested. I saw a tape of them running drills <laughs> today. I actually saw videos of them running drills today in practice and they were doing the speed ladder. And they're doing the ladder and like the, the end of the drill was like they, somebody throw them a ball to catch. He's the only guy that dropped one. Like everybody, everybody else caught one. Even even the practice squad guys caught one, and he he was the only one to drop. They're trying to make the squad. It's a confidence issue, which is why yeah. I don't get Shanahan beating them down. But you know even what? When you have a guy who, who doesn't is lacking confidence, which is I think hundred percent the issue. Pettis doesn't have confidence right now. You don't beat him down. You talk him up. I don't. I don't get it. I just you know we were undefeated going into the game. Eight no going into the game. I don't know. I don't even know how many wins they've had at this point. If you're not engaged now, if you can't get up now, if you can't find a way to put your personal stuff aside and be into it now, you're never going to be into it. You're never going to be that guy. You can't teach that to somebody. That doesn't just switch on and off. Unless, I guess, you're Vernon Davis and Mike Singletary destroys you in public. But other than that, I just I don't see it. I'm sorry. And I'm, I'm, I'm just done. See you later, Dante. I mean, Dante Pettis is not doing anything. They're playing Marquise Goodwin on special teams because they're trying to find some way that he can contribute positively to the team. So they got him on punt plays, which I actually thought was a cool idea by them. But I mean, this whole receiving group, if Kittle's going to be out, and I think he's going to be out against Arizona, and I wouldn't be shocked if he was out after that, they have real major concerns going forward. They do. And... Jalen Hurd is not going to fix this. Like people talk about Jalen Hurd coming back. I like Jalen Hurd a lot. I think he's, I think he's going to be a good receiver, but he's just a rookie. He hasn't played a single regular season snap yet. And in the Kyle Shanahan offense, we know it's complicated. So this is one of those things that he's all right, Kyle, this, did you going to earn your, you're going to earn your paycheck. Now you got to, you got to earn the big bucks because this is why you were brought here. You were brought here to turn water into wine. You were brought here to turn what you see in front of us into gold. And it's not necessarily a fair deal for him, but this is one of those things where they knew what the deal was this offseason. They knew that they had to add talent and, and they they tried to in the draft, but what you what you have right now is what you're gonna have till the end of the season. I don't think they're gonna sign anybody off the street. It's too late now, midseason. It's too late to get in the playbook. It's too late to really know what's going on. I know the Seahawks just just got Josh Gordon and he made an immediate m- impact, but even then, like it's because Russell Wilson's throwing him the ball. So he had two it's a- catches on slants. I mean, it wasn't like a yeah, it was an important were, catch. No, but I mean, like down. you could get a guy. Yeah. Like we could sign Des Bryant, and he could catch two slants next week. Like he doesn't need to be in the playbook to learn that. But my point is, is that none of the Niners players are making that catch, right? None of the Niners receivers are making that catch. So you're not you're not going to get that same level out of what you see on the 49ers roster. So they're going to find other ways of scoring points and other ways of freeing guys up. Now, if Emmanuel Sanders plays, all of this is moot because he's going to take coverage with him. They won't be able to double guys. He's, he's your reliable target. He's your number one. But with him being hurt with the ribs, and, and we don't know, he'll be a game-time decision against Arizona on Sunday, but this whole situation surrounding wide receivers is a concern to me because I, this is a copycat league. Arizona started stacking the box, and Jimmy 
toasted them because he had Kittle and Emmanuel Sanders. Seattle did the same. They stacked the box and they dared the Niners to pass and the Niners couldn't get it done. In this copycat league, you'll see more of this. The rest of the season, you'll see all these teams stacking the box and, and daring Jimmy to throw. And as okay as he was, I mean, he's got to, he's got to have ball security. He can't be fumbling the ball. Like when they, when he fumbled the ball and, and they, and they took it to the end zone, I was like, man, that's, that's, that's going to, that, that flipped the game, right? Like I was like, okay, well, Seattle completely flipped the game. Probably going to win now, right? Like because they took the lead and, and they started hooting and hollering. And we've seen that so many times. And uh, you can't just leave it all on Jimmy. Like people, people criticize him for some things rightly and other things that are completely unfounded, but you can't just leave it on this guy. Like he's still developing as a quarterback. You can't just be like, oh, we don't have the talent. Jimmy, save us. And that's literally what they did at the end of the game. Jimmy, to me, I, I think it's clear. And I said this, I think last week, might have been two weeks ago. He's a guy that is an above average quarterback who could be a superstar at times. He's not a consistent superstar, and I don't think he's going to be a consistent superstar. I think he has certain negatives that we've seen consistently enough to know that. But he's an above average quarterback who at times can lift you. It's just you don't, you, this isn't a, he's not a Pat Mahomes. Go out there and do everything. Mm-hmm. That's not Jimmy Garoppolo. I think people, I don't get the criticism. People are saying, oh, they made a mistake. They paid him $28 million a year. Well, yeah, but if you actually look at what he's making now, it's not that great of a contract in, in all, re- all reality. He's paid what he is. He's an above average quarterback who's good enough to go win a championship. He's a good enough quarterback. You could win a championship with him. And he's That's what he excellent. Is. He's excellent on third down. He really is. He fits throws into windows on third down. I mean, how many times did the 49ers face third and long, not just against Seattle, but against Arizona and other games? He finds a way to move the chains on third down. I think he's he's very good in those type of situations. He's I think you said it right. He's capable of great plays. He's not capable of consistent great plays, which, like you said, they can win with. But if if he's going to be put in that situation. I heard an analyst today say, well, I know his two tackles were coming back and I know they got beat every single play. And I know his top two weapons were out, but Jimmy Garoppolo has got to play better. And I just thought, man, we wouldn't, we wouldn't say that about any other position, right? Like, Oh, I know the, this running back, I know his whole offensive line was injured. And I know the equipment staff gave him ice skates instead of cleats, but you know, he's really got to run a lot better. Like we only <laughs> apply that to quarterbacks. And I think that's crazy. So as frustrating as Jimmy is sometimes, he took way too much heat for that game. And he wasn't helped out by anybody. Anybody. He, right. His offensive line didn't help him. His coach didn't help him. His receivers certainly didn't help him. So to put that loss on Jimmy, it's it's really it's a really lazy and stupid take. And the national media does they do that. Sorry, stats. The national <laughs> media does do that because they want hot button topics. So that being said, guys, I do wanna I do want to focus on the positive here as well. We we spent the first half of the show talking about the things that went wrong. And there is light at the end of the tunnel. The Niners are 8-1. and one. They're on top of their division. They're on top of the NFC. They've got Arizona this weekend, which is a winnable game. They should go to 9-1. and one. They've got an elite defense who made Russell Wilson really fight for every single yard that he got. I think it was and, the best defensive game all season, agreed. considering Absolutely. the opponent. Absolutely. G- considering Russell Wilson will probably be your MVP this year, they were amazing, and the they had four sacks on him, and they contained five. five sacks on him. They contained the run. They came up with that huge interception in, in overtime. They stopped him multiple times in overtime. Mm-hmm. You couldn't have asked for anything more from that defense, and it took 
five quarters, literally five quarters and a field goal to beat this 49ers team. And that tells me a lot about how good this team is. They, people look at this loss and they say that, oh, well, they lost to Seattle and this is not, they're not that good. No, this, they, the Saints lost to freaking the Falcons. The Niners <laughs> didn't lose to a, a one-win team. They lost to the, the arguably uh, the, the best divi- division, divisional opponent that they have, one of the best teams in the league, the arguable MVP. They lost to an elite team as well. Like this wasn't some chump team that they lost to. So, and they, they took them all the way, took them the distance. So to me, I, I don't look at this as a negative so much as other people do. Like this is to me, like, it's like, okay, it sucks that they lost. And I didn't want the, the winning streak to end at the hands of Seattle. But at the same time, you're still eight and one. You're still in prime position. You get to 10 wins. You're almost guaranteed the playoffs and they will get to 10 wins. Now it's just a matter of how far they go. But this defense guys, this defense will take them the rest of the way. I, I was so happy. I was so impressed with that defense. Yeah, and I think the the biggest game was Quan Williams. I mean, I, I've mm-hmm. seen a Twitter push today about going and voting for him in the Pro Bowl. He's been the best slot corner in the league, and I don't think that's really a question at this point. And then he had those fumbles. He forced those fumbles. He He's the reason the Niners got back in the game to me. I mean, yes, Defoe scored the touchdown, but it was Quan that got that going. Mm-hmm. Well, and Warner had a great punch out too. Once, once Afedi got the football, I thought it was smart of Warner to not just go for the tackle. He knew this guy's, you know, he doesn't carry the football. I'm going to try and punch it out here. Great play by Warner, who I think has been playing phenomenally this year. They were great. They were so good, and they kept the team in the game. They literally forced that 11 point comeback. Like the, Seattle had yeah. the ball 20, 21 to 10 in the fourth quarter. I was thinking this is going to be a patented Pete Carroll blowout where the game was mm-hmm. kind of close to the entire game. And in the end, they score like two touchdowns and it looks like a blowout when it really wasn't because they're scoring in garbage time because he's trying to embarrass the Niners. But they kept them in it. And that play probably should have turned the tide to help them win the game. But that play really was such a statement that we're not going to go quietly into the night. This team has fight. And that's one of the positives that you can take away from the game is that this defense did not falter against Russell Wilson. This is this was the most difficult quarterback that you're going to play all year. I know that they're they're playing Rodgers and Breeze and eventually Lamar Jackson, but in terms of playmaking ability, Russell Wilson is an absolute artist. He's a Houdini out there. You will not play a quarterback that's more difficult to fit to to control than that. And they held their own against him. And it was I, I'm just I can't wait till the game in Seattle. Hopefully the offense shows up for that one. But if the <laughs> offense shows up, then the Niners have a real chance in that game. Yeah, I, I was. Really worried about how much Russell Wilson would would get out of sacks because you know he he is a Houdini, and I was really pleasantly surprised how often they got pressure and they dragged him down because in the past that that was a lot of what happened is they get the pressure the guy doesn't get Russell Wilson down Russell Wilson gets out and makes a play this game they were bringing him down and to me that that shows the unique ability of this defensive line they don't just get pressure they don't just beat their man. They're very good at finishing the sack. And I want to see, I'm really interested to see this week to spin it ahead to Arizona because it's the first time Cliff Kingsbury is ever going to face the same team twice in a season in his head coaching career because he never had to do it in college. So I want to see how the 49ers adjust on defense and on offense against the Cardinals. And I I would like to see Kyler Murray get sacked a little more than he did the first meeting because... I think the defense is going to have to carry them again. And Arizona moved the ball in the second half of that game against the Niners. So I think the defense is going to have to really show up and, and ball out because 
I don't think Sanders is going to play, and I don't think Kittle is going to play, and we're going to be right back in that situation again. So uh, hopefully the defense can drag the offense kicking and screaming to a win. Yeah, Sanders actually went through the walkthrough um, this week, so I think he is a game-time decision. Uh, Kittle for sure will not play. I, I, I think that they want to hold him out for those those three games. But uh, before, we, before we go any further, I, I do want to do game balls real quick uh, for the Seattle game. Um, I'll go first. We'll make it quick. Uh, I will give my game ball to Dre Greenlaw. He had the huge interception. He was great in coverage. He, we thought that there'd be a big drop-off when Quan Alexander went out, and maybe emotionally there was, but Dre Greenlaw, we heard reports of him actually talking to players and getting him hyped up. So to me, I think that Dre Greenlaw uh, gets my game ball. Great play uh, to pick off Russell Wilson over time. Really excited to see him going forward. Dutch, you can go. I'll, I'll go last. I'm not giving my game ball to anybody. Nobody gets a game ball from me. I'm, I wasn't happy. I mean, the defense played great, but you already took Greenlaw, so I can't really... I mean, if, you, if I have to... No, you know what? Nobody. Nobody gets it. I'm very dissatisfied. No game ball. <laughs> Stats gets a game ball, apparently. Uh, <laughs> well, I, I already talked about him, so I don't need to go into great detail here, but Quan Williams, I think, is deserving of a game ball for the, for the game that he had. Yeah, uh, he should he should hopefully be a Pro Bowler this year, hopefully. And this, this defense is going to carry this team. So, moving on to Arizona. Like Stats said, we saw them a couple weeks ago. Kyler Murray was successful with his short, quick passing game. It wouldn't have been as close of a game if that Andy Isabella play didn't happen. It seemed like the short week, they were really tired and, and kind of disinterested in what, looking forward to the Seattle game, which they ended up losing anyways. Really disappointed. Uh the atmosphere was amazing, by the way, at Levi Stadium. I have not heard it that loud in forever, ever. Point. So all of that stuff, that made me even more pissed off that they wasted all that stuff. It was the most watched game in the Bay Area since 2012, and it was just an amazing game, and the Niners squandered it by losing, but it's okay because there'll be more games. So the next game is Arizona, and I think that Kyler Murray, you're going to see a lot of the same from him. You're going to see a lot of plays where he's it's either at the line of scrimmage or shortly past the line of scrimmage. He throws 56% of his passes within three yards of the line of scrimmage. That's, that's his game, getting the ball out of his hand quick. I think the Niners will be better prepared for it this time because they actually know what, what he's about. The first time you see a rookie player, specifically a quarterback, you, you really don't know their tendencies. There's not enough tape and not enough time. You really, you really don't know. And we saw that the adjustment drive, like you could like to call 11 at the beginning of the game last time where they, Arizona went down and scored. I don't think you'll see that this time. I think the Niners will be more prepared Kenyon Drake, that was his first game. They'll be more prepared for him. They'll be, they'll be more prepared as a unit. I think they'll be pissed off. I think that Kyle Shanahan will have a better game plan going into this. I think they'll be able to run the ball. Jeff Wilson will probably be called up with Brita out. So you're going to see uh, Justin School starting for Joe Staley, who's out for a couple of weeks. So it's going to be a different sort of feel for this game. It's not going to be as intense as the Seattle game, and I really hope it's not a letdown, and I, and I don't think it will be. I'm actually quite nervous for this game just because this Arizona team is kind of, it's a sneaky team. I think we're, we're locked into thinking Arizona is not a good team just because there's the Rams and the Seattle that we worry about more. But in reality, Seattle or sorry, Arizona has been playing teams tough and they've won some games and we obviously had the scare when we played them the first time around. And then you, you factor in all the Niners' recent injuries. It, it, it worries me quite a bit in this game. I do think that this game is going to be more along the lines of 
I don't think it'll be quite the defensive battle that say that Washington game was, but I think it'll be a lot like the Rams game where I don't think this is going to be very high scoring. I think the injuries to the offensive playmakers are going to be somewhat crippling to this Niners offense. I don't think they're going to put up a lot of points, but I also don't think Arizona is going to be able to put up many points against this defense now that they know how to stop this team. So I, I think this is going to be one of those games that the Niners seem to be dominating most of the game. And you feel like they're dominating, but the actual score remains close. One of the things I'd like to see from the 49ers this week, which I was kind of surprised they didn't do it last week, is what Arizona did in the first meeting, and that was go to tempo. Let's see some hurry-up offense, especially mm-hmm. if the Niners are going to be missing some weapons here. Go to tempo, push the ball down the field quickly, as quickly as you can, especially if the defense is forcing three and outs on the other side. You keep the Cardinals' defense on the field. Maybe you tire them out. Maybe that gives guys like Debo and even Dwelly, anybody, you know, a little more separation when they're down on offense. And maybe that's the difference in the game. Like you said, they're not going to have to score a ton of points. So I'd like to see a little more tempo from the 49ers to do something to try and get a little momentum on offense. I think it, it, the, the loss last week against Seattle is a good wake-up call for them. And I, too, am interested to see how they're going to bounce back. I think they will. I think this is too good of a team. This is a really special group. And the way that we know this is, is they've won games that they probably shouldn't have won, like that, that Pittsburgh game. And good teams don't, don't win that game. Elite teams don't win that game. So I'm comfortable with calling Niners elite. I, we know what they are. We've seen them all season. People who aren't Niners fans don't necessarily agree because they haven't seen the way that they progress this season. But I think that if they can contain Kyler Murray and they can put pressure on him and they can start jumping into passing lanes, getting their hands up on the D-line, they can kind of suffocate that offense because they really don't have much in terms of, of real playmakers uh, outside, of, outside of Andy Isabella and, and, and uh, Christian Kirk. But uh, Larry Fitzgerald is at the end of the line, and, and he's, not, he's not what he used to be, and, and really like, he can't take over a game like he used to. So they're not a team that you should be scared of. It's just to me, like, I, I think that this has to be a statement game for them. Like, hey, we lost a tough one last week, but we're, we're here. We're back. And we're ready to build on. And this is a game that you have to have. Before the season started, I said that the Niners have to win both against Arizona. You have to have both those games if you're going to be a contender. You cannot lose to a team that you're, you're better than and you're clearly better than. And we talk about how Arizona beat a bunch of teams, but the fact of the matter is the, the Niners are still a better team than Arizona is. We know that. So with that being said, I'll go right into my prediction. And, and I think that the Niners win this game. And I think that I'm with Levin. I don't think it's going to be a high-scoring game. They'll try to control the clock, control the ball. And they'll limit Jimmy's throws. You won't see him throwing 40 times again. They don't, they don't win like that. They're not going to win like that. You'll see him have 25 to 30 attempts. And he'll, he may have under, under 200 yards passing, but he'll have one of those efficient days where he throws a touchdown or two under 200, 200 yards passing, completing 65% of his passes. And I'm going to say the Niners win 21-14. Well, oh, I'm going to predict a Niners victory. I, I, there's just one point I wanted to make before I do my prediction. You know, you mentioned this being kind of a must-have. To me, it is a this is a must-win game because you lose this game. Yeah, you're eight and two, so you wouldn't think it's a must-win game. But then you have those three games coming right after. You're going to have Green Bay, Baltimore, and New Orleans. You lose this game. You've lost two in a row. You just dropped a game you should have definitely won against Arizona, and now you're facing your three-game gauntlet. There's a very real chance if the Niners mess up and drop this game, they could be looking at eight and five and then being in real wild card issue, not even divisional issue. They need to get this game. They need to be nine and one entering that three game period. But 
as far as my prediction, I'll go with the Niners. I was thinking 20 to 13 in my head. That was the exact score that I was going to pick was Niners 2013. I think you're right. Part of the thing, part of the, what made the Seahawks loss a little more palatable was you're like, okay, well, we're still the best. We have the best record in the NFC. So, you know, it stinks, but we're in a good spot. But you drop this game to Arizona, you're right back in the muck with everybody. And that's not good, like you said, with that stretch coming up in the schedule. So, like I said the first time, this is a take care of your business game. Go handle your business. Let's can we get out of a game, by the way, without a major starter going down? That'd yeah. be a nice little change. Just one game. Can we have one game where we, we keep all our starters that are playing the game active? That'd be my my hope in addition to the win. So by the way, Levin, last week I think you predicted the Niners would win twenty seven twenty. You got the score right. So uh, I was actually thinking when he was kicking that field goal to win the game, I was going, Hey, I got the score exactly. Oh, he missed it. That's your fault then. That's that's a bad job by you. Yeah, but yeah, I think I think I, I'm with you stats and, and Levin. I think that this is this is a take care of business game and I, I really don't care how they win. I would love to be, for it to be a pretty win, but at this point, just just start stacking your wins. It's not a beauty pageant. Just start stacking them up. Get ready for that that stretch, which I think I think they have a good chance at, at taking at least at least one, if not two, of those games in that three game stretch. Just because I think that this team will really rise to the occasion. They they haven't been tested yet, but I think they'll rise. I think the Seattle game really got them got them ready for what the, what's up ahead. So, any any final thoughts, guys, on on this week Arizona, last week Seattle? Any final thoughts? To me, I think these next four games, the Niners need to go two and two. They go two and two. I'm satisfied. They're 10 and three at the end of this stretch. They're well situated for a divisional title in a first round by if they go one and three, they're, they're going to probably be not in first place. And if they win three of the games, I think they're almost a near lock for a first round by. Yeah, well, I, I think so too. Cause they'd have the tiebreaker over green Bay and over new Orleans, which would just, I mean, that would be the ideal situation. I want to see urgency this week. That's all I want to see. I want to see the, the recognition that they understand last week was a bad loss given where they were in that game and just blow these guys out. I don't think it's going to happen, but that's what I really want to see is I want to see them understand what they need to do and show everybody like, okay, we lost last week, but we're still the best team in the league. To go 12 and four, they have to go four and four down the stretch. Just play 500 ball. And that's not unreasonable. I want them to play 500 ball. I want them to go four and four down the stretch. Heck, even two and six is puts it puts you at at ten and six, and I, I don't like that. But that's still most likely in the playoffs. But at this point, we really have to start seeing how they perform in, on on the bigger stage and seeing they're getting more of these games flexed out. The Green Bay game was flexed. Um, most likely, that Seattle game will be flexed at the end of the year. I don't see how it won't be, but. They're starting to get more of these primetime games, which is great. It's awesome to see Levi's at night. And before before we go, I touched on it earlier. Guys, the, the atmosphere at Levi's, how good was that? How amazing was that to see? Like, I, I dreamed of the day that the Niners would have a, a home field advantage where the other team would have to go silent count. It used to happen every once in a while at the Candlestick, but it happened. And it's never happened at Levi's because they've never been good in Levi's. And to, <laughs> on, on Monday night to see them, that crowd out there for all of you that were out there, major, major respect to all of you that were out there that stayed for five quarters and stayed on your feet and made noise, bring that same intensity the entire season. It was amazing to see. Yeah. I mean, I got nothing to add to that. It it was a good atmosphere. It's the type of atmosphere that should be present every game, especially with a team this good. I mean, there's no excuses now. They should be there every game, not just Seattle. 71,000 people there for that game. 
Uh, Tim Kawakami said he goes down to the field before every game, and usually he just looks around and walks right back up to the press box. But he said he he could feel the energy. He wanted to stay down on the field. And uh, one last note, that Week 17 game, there's nothing, there's nowhere to flex it to. Everybody plays at either 1 o'clock or 4 o'clock Eastern because it's Week 17, so they don't want anybody to go into the playoffs, you know, playing later or anything like that. So it, it won't be flexed. Oh, and bowl games too. That's also why too, right? College bowl games, they don't want that overlapping. Um yeah, I just I just hope that they continue to to show up at Levi's and, and come with this atmosphere and don't pull face masks off statues. Don't be an idiot. Oh, that, too late. God, that guy is so, so dumb pulling off. This. First of all, those those should be on pedestals, right, where people can't climb them. But man, yeah, don't be vandalizing the statues out there. Don't be idiots. I, w- I wish we could figure out. I wish we could figure out who that was. And well, they we found could go back in time 500 years and put them on a stake in front of the stadium and say, don't mess with our statues. <laughs> <laughs> they found him, thankfully. But I he mean, was a Niners fan. That's, that's the worst yeah. part. Like, I mean, it's insane. <laughs> oh, man. So, yeah, respect the stadium. Respect property, guys. Anyways, so for Levin Black and Stats Guerrero, I am Zane Nackby. This has been another episode of the 49ers Web Zone No Huddle Podcast presented by the QBSneak.com. And remember, for accurate predictions on every NFL matchup and thought-provoking NFL content that can help your fantasy teams or confidence pools, head to the QBSneak.com. Buy a t-shirt, guys. They're on the website. You can find them on the podcast page. Let's all buy one. Let's all rock them. Let's do it, guys.